Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or one of our other series like 401 Access Denied or Go For It with Sarah Moffat, then make sure to like, follow, or subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it and you could be featured in a future episode. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. You're listening to the 401 Access Denied Podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cybrary. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Tonight. We're really excited to be here for another fantastic award-winning show. And we've got some great uh, topics for to discussion today. Uh, my name is Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Lycotic, based in Tallinn, Estonia. And uh, really excited to also be joined again with my co-host, Mike. Mike, you want to give us an update on uh, what we're expecting today? Uh, Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cybrary in DC. And today we're going to be talking with Joe Vest about uh, pen testing and uh, and his new book. Um, Joe, do you want to give a, a introduction and, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Um, my name is Joe Vest. I've been doing IT and security for a long time. So I was doing uh, security or IT, but when it was called information technology mm-hmm. before the word cyber was was popular. So <laughs> I often call it still information security. So I've been, I shifted over um, to security maybe in 2008 or so, plus or minus, mm-hmm. when I actually shifted to that as my, my day job. And I've been doing some version of security since then. Today, um, actually about six weeks in right now, I've joined Help Systems as the tech director mm-hmm. for the Cobalt Strike Project. So uh, I've spent most of my security career, um, early days in the um, application security space, but then shifted quickly over to, I'll say, the threat space, penetration mm-hmm. testing, red teaming and such. And I've really just spent most of my security career on that uh, threat emulation side. Awesome. Well, welcome. It's fantastic yeah, to have you here and really excited, you know, because for me, um, you know, it tells, I mean, I've, I've read your book and I really, really enjoyed it you know, going through because a lot of times, you know, sometimes for me, when I was getting a lot of requests from um, companies to do penetration testing or doing risk assessments or vulnerability assessments and red teaming, a lot of cases that I really struggled to kind of get to the point, you know, to, to say no, because a lot of them didn't understand um, about what it meant. They didn't understand a lot of cases, what they were asking for. Uh, and sometimes actually a lot of that early you know, discussion point was actually educating them on what actually you know, they were asking for, what red teaming was. And a lot of cases, most organizations were even not ready. They were not ready to go down that path. Um, and I thought, you know, for me, I, I was, when I read the book um, and uh, went back, I was like hoping you know, this is something that I should actually give the companies and say, read this before you come and ask me what you really need so you can actually understand. Yeah. So can you give us a bit of background into, you know, what was the idea for creating the book? Um, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Itself, what the topic, what, what it helps organizations do and who's, who should be the intended audience for reading? Oh yeah. So um, this book was created, honestly, um, the, the concepts and ideas were created long before uh, the book was written. Um, I was never an author. I still don't consider myself like a, a practice or seasoned author. There was just, um, I had I had a need to train um, new red teamers. 
to be honest, and to actually take a lot of these ideas and concepts and put them in my own head and and uh, kind of normalize them so I could speak uh, better to this uh, to this topic. So um, taking you back a little bit, so I was actually um, when I shifted over to red teaming, I was part of a DoD red team. This was many many years ago now, mm-hmm. probably in the 2011 plus or minus time frame when I started working in that world. And I was going through this process, great experience, great time, really lots of good exposure to to what I'd say the threat emulation, red teaming space. And I actually, at that time, um, I was working on a lot of uh, um, like engagements where we would help, uh, like purple teaming more or less, mm-hmm. but with really large engagements with like military and DOD personnel and such. And the actual, I worked with Ben Clark and the red team field manual yeah. book. We did that <laughs> as well. So that was all like him. I kind of helped him with that and did it. I, I said it was successful because I designed the cover. Um, <laughs> that, that was, so that was kind of like my first exposure to a silly world of creating a, a book uh, mm-hmm. and such. But as I went through this, I was starting to to train and teach. I was going down the SANS route for a while, trying mm-hmm. to figure this out. And, and it was just really demanding to try to do SANS. So I was teaching some of their classes. Eventually, um, I, I left and created my own company. And I was a consultant for four years. So that was depending on myself. So even more need to be able to express mm-hmm. these terms and concepts, uh, um, you know, in, in a way that made sense to these clients. Um, I did propose to SANS to create a red teaming course. So I created their mm-hmm. first red teaming course. Uh, it was just a two-day course, red team development operation or uh, red team. Oh, my gosh. I forgot the name of whatever it called. It was a red teaming <laughs> uh, management course, if you will. It was a two-day course. And I ran it for almost two years trying to get through the beta pieces of that. And, and honestly, the book came from that. Um, I, that was where I solidified all my ideas. I taught students. Um, it was very much non-technical. There were some technical aspects where we dove really, really quickly technical, but we came back out because then and today what I saw the gap was um, the whole hurting the cats kind of syndrome. We've got a lot of really, really smart people, but um, it may sound crazy, but organizations don't hire you because you're really, really smart you have to translate that into something that they need some business risk, something they care about. I always say that, you know, we in the red teaming space, penetration testing space, we are always invited to someone else's playground. Mm -hmm. So you may have all the greatest tools and toys and everything, but if you're not sharing or it doesn't have value, it doesn't matter what you bring. You're not going to be invited back. So that gap of how to come and play in a professional uh, way on um, to represent a realistic threat, is what really this uh, this book came from. And it was basically a try to create a practical guide, basically the same mm-hmm. thing that I was teaching anyone that I was working with, say new red teamers, all of the fundamentals they need to understand. I wasn't worried about the technical. I hate to say it, that's mm-hmm. easy. You can go find and go kind of digest oh. that. That's time and experience. But the interaction of how to build and run a professional red team is not so easy. And that's really where the book came from. So myself mm-hmm. and James Tuberville, um, yep. kind of wrote this, wrote, jammed out that course in like a few months, mm-hmm. really just uh, busted butt on that and, and knocked that out, started teaching it, kind of worked through a lot of the logistics. But the demands of running my own company and trying to go and do the SANS instructor route just was, it was too much. So mm-hmm. I said, well, thanks, SANS, I'm gone. So I, I kind of left that. And I had all this great material. So James and I said, why don't we take this? And we spent about three months again, mm-hmm. translating that material into the book. And that's what mm-hmm. we see today. So that came out, oh gosh, a little over a year ago, I guess. Yep. March mm-hmm. or so was the year anniversary um, of when this thing came out. And uh, I thought maybe 100 people might like it and there's a few people, but it's actually uh, more people have commented. And and I think it really still fills a gap 
on on the uh, the professionalism and of that side of red teaming to understand what you really need to do. So before we get too far away from that, first of all, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that it's already been a year. Uh, I said new book, but <laughs> no it's kidding. been a year. Well, I feel like it's... anything that's happened after 2012 is new. But um... <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. Totally. Uh, yeah. But what's the name of the book? Where can people get it? Red Team Development and Operations on, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think, 15 bucks now. Uh, we just kind of dropped the price to keep it simple. Um, it's not like any – I would love it to be a retirement plan. That would be awesome. <laughs> but, you know, you learn that it's not – the. Uh, you know, any sort of IT or security book is just not that. So it's fun. I use it. It also keeps me in check to make sure I kind of keep things in, in line with uh, my perspective and yeah. understanding what's going on to rechallenge myself to grow. I've already started to enhance some of the uh, verbiage and the language mm-hmm. I use since I wrote the book, just because I'm always in this space trying to uh, to deliver these messages on, you know, threat emulation and how do we actually portray and measure our ability to mm-hmm. uh, to detect and respond against threat. That's really what it all comes down to. Absolutely. And I, I completely agree. A lot of times, you know, even a lot of my writing that I do, a lot of it just starts off with me creating notes because I, I can't remember oh, yeah. everything. And it basically just goes into me putting things aside, documenting so I can do a quick search and come back to it when I need to. Um, so that's great. I mean, that's an impressive to do it in, in a couple of months because uh, I know writing books. Yeah, that and, was nuts. Uh, <laughs> we've, had, we've had quite a few authors in the show and, uh, some of them have taken one to two years in writing some of the materials. So it's pretty impressive that you, I think it comes from the, probably the training side of things because you're putting it in such an organized structure manner rather than doing it from scratch. Mm. Oh, yeah. And that can accelerate uh, the path as well. Um, so, but one of the things I wanted to ask as well is, you know, when a lot of organizations, when they come and there's so much different, there's so many different types. There's so many different types of risk assessments, penetration tests, of red teams, blue teams, you know, purple teaming is, is becoming quite popular recently. Um, where does the company know when to start? What, you know, what, what, what should they be looking for to know what type of you know, penetration test they should be looking for? Um, is there a maturity so, type of model that organizations can look at to say, you know, what's the right path for them? Yeah, so this is probably one of my number one focuses that I have when it comes to how do you handle uh risk well Mm -hmm. i always start from the so right to left instead of let's figure out a test we're going to do i say let's start at the end Mm -hmm. and really you're starting with like i call security operations Mm -hmm. you have spent time money energy on to protect something so the first question is what are you protecting against And, and the big gap that i see in the world right now which is why we see threats being successful is we are focusing on like tools, malware, a technical aspect, a one and done exploit. So you see the news, oh, there's someone got fished and then everything mm-hmm. went bad. Well, that's a story in itself that should never occur. It should never be one and done. So you have to see mm-hmm. what is your security operations plan really protecting against? And this really starts to, to, to miss the big gap I see is we're missing the uh, intelligent threat actor. That's really where we're missing. So yeah, they have tools and stuff and all those change. So you have to understand that. But when you start to look at that, when you break down like the three tests that can help you guide towards that, vulnerability assessments, penetration testing, and red teaming. I'll just kind of keep those three together. Again, I start right to left and I say, okay, why would you do any of these? You're going to apply some mitigations. So you want to kind of think of these in terms of your mitigations. So if you started with a vulnerability assessment, which is geared towards identification of flaws you're finding Mm -hmm. bugs and flaws and uh if you mitigate that what do you get reduce your attack surface so Mm -hmm. honestly vulnerability assessments which is flaw identification is actually an effort in um attack surface reduction 
that's that's what I say. So that's what your that's your benefit. You just get to reduce the attack surface. Mm-hmm. Then you move into penetration testing, and now you're doing penetration testing. I like to call it as attack path validation. So you're actually validating attack paths through a network. You're doing attacks. You're moving through the network to understand how these things operate. You're finding flaws. Mm-hmm. You're finding, but those flaws are in context to some sort of attack path scenario. Um, and and the, do these things overlap? Of course, there's some gray areas where they line, but I kind of keep them simple. Again. Regardless of those those gray areas, what do you get from the results mm-hmm. of a penetration test? You should get a set of mitigations, and if you apply those mitigations, you reduce the attack path, or you're reducing the attack surface. So I put vulnerability assessments and penetration mm-hmm. testing in the attack um, attack surface reduction um, bubble, mm-hmm. and which is great. You want to reduce that attack surface, but if all we did is reduce attack surface, are we going to are we dealing with a threat? We have not dealt with a threat yet. You make it harder for them, but you can't reduce it to zero. That's not possible mm-hmm. to, to reduce to zero. I mean, zero days attacks come out all the time. Um, I always charge everyone who's creating an organ, a defensive uh, posture to say you need to create defenses for current and future threats. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where we get into this red teaming. And to be honest, I'm not a fan of the word red teaming anymore. I feel like that word has kind of been taken from us to a degree. I prefer something in the realm of like threat emulation, adversary emulation, mm-hmm. one of these. Um, not that any of these matter, but mm-hmm. we need a common definition and framework. But now when you say, okay, I do a red teaming engagement, a red team is a scenario that's a threat driven scenario with the goals of measuring security operations ability to detect, to detect, uh, prevent, detect and respond to a threat. So it's the overall, why did we spend all this money on this security program, people, processes, technology, everything? Let's create a scenario to exercise that. From that, when we get a results from that, we're not, we will find flaws, but our goals are not to reduce the flaws, but it's to understand, I like to call our detection story. Mm-hmm. Our ability to re, um, deal with a threat and prevent a threat from succeeding in their nefarious goals. And that's what we're trying to fo- to, to, to address. So when you have all three of those, you reduce the attack surface, make it harder for the threat. In essence, reduce the noise that you have to deal with from a security defensive posture. Then you start to understand, are we actually even focusing on the real things mm-hmm. through adversary emulation? Take these yeah. threat scenarios and walk through this to see, do our defensives work? Do our hypothesis, do our mm-hmm. assumptions actually defend what we think they defend against? Yeah. I like to call it the noise meter. <laughs> Ultimately, what we're trying to do is force the attackers to create more noise. So, Mike, you were going to ask, yes. ask something there? Well, yeah, no. I, and no, uh, the point of using the red team as a way to sort of mm-hmm. validate, I think that's one of the most common questions is like, how do you, how do, how do you mm-hmm. know that you're doing a good job? How does your security team, how yeah. do you know that these things are doing what they're intended? And the only way to do that is to either get attacked yeah. or emulate an attack in a, and, I think we'd all prefer to have it emulated and controlled. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I, I, oh, yeah. I like that idea yeah. of of the red team in that sense of um, helping to sort of validate the cost that you've spent right. on all of those other things and, and how your yeah. team is doing. You want to so. make sure your security is working as well. You want right. to make sure that all of the measurements that you have, if you know all of a sudden you know somebody gains access to the network, you want to have the visibility. You want to know that your security that you invest in it is actually working. And if you don't do simulations and emulations and and you know, attack paths, you don't know, you assume your security is working just because you've got a dashboard and it says something green or red on it, but you don't effectively right. know until you actually you know, put it through the test. 
you know, it, that's why that's why car companies do crash tests to check and see if all of the systems that they're put in place in the vehicle is actually working. Um, do you want to, you know, do you want to test a car um, after its production, you know, on the road in real life? No, you, you know, organizations do so many simulations to make sure that everything that they've done possible will actually all those sensors, all of those controls, you know, the seatbelts, the airbags, everything they put in the car to make sure that, it, you know, it saves lives is actually working. And we should take that same approach. And I think, you know, fundamentally, you know, this is really, it's the, it's the Christ test of security. That's ultimately what we're trying to achieve I would, here. Oh, yeah. Totally agree. I mean, um, I think the crash test analogy, just extending it a little <laughs> bit further, makes a ton of sense because one of the things that, like, I don't remember when, but at some point they went from um, testing crashes like front end collisions, right, to mm -hmm. realizing that in the real world, what we observe in the real world is that people actually swerve. And so you don't tend to hit things head on. You or actually tend to hit things with the corners of your cars. Yeah. And yeah. so, right. And so using the real world information, mm -hmm. adjusting the tests, and then that's where having experts who are right. constantly aware of what, you know, how things are changing and what the, how threats right. are evolving, involving them in those tests. It's otherwise you can, otherwise you fully automate tests and you think you're doing a yeah. great job and blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, the threats have, have continued to move and change. And so yeah. I think that analogy holds up. Yeah. So the, the, the gap I see right now is when people are designing these defenses, um, mm. again, everything's in good intentions, but sometimes there's things missed. So you have a, mm. a I like to say like a group of intelligent people designing these security, um, these security uh, solutions do not add up to understanding how the threat operates. Right? Mm -hmm. So you, we can have a lot of smart people doing stuff and it's just the wrong path. So often I say the threat is not included. They don't have a seat at the table when you're designing your security defenses uh, across the entire program, whether it's preventative mm -hmm. controls over to detection and response controls, the whole path. We need the threat and uh, have a seat at the table. That's what red teaming mm -hmm. allows us to do. Mm -hmm. Another thing, I, I like to have like silly little sayings, but I don't remember where I heard this, but you often hear, um, you got to think like the threat, think like the adversary. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I like to say, okay, so that's like saying I want to think like a chef, a chef, and then I can cook mm -hmm. gourmet meals. Thinking like something's not enough. You no. actually have to be able to act and perform those actions. So if you can't or you're someone on your team cannot actually act as a threat would and, mm -hmm. and say, hey, let's not just hit head on. Let's go to the side. Let's really analyze this from an intelligent threat actor's perspective. Well, then you've got to bring someone else in. And that's where... Mm -hmm. That's what the whole adversary emulation, threat emulation is about. It's to challenge those assumptions. Um, and I'm a big proponent on detection strategies and mm -hmm. detection engineering. So actively, proactively creating detections, not just outsourcing it to a vendor. Um, we often do that a lot. And, and I know that there's reasons to do that. But when you outsource things to a vendor, you've created a strategy that may not be in line with what the threat is thinking. And they have yeah. the abilities to say, okay, I know you're doing this. Me as an intelligent threat actor can modify my actions and bypass whatever controls, mm -hmm. detective controls or whatever you have. Well, I also Absolutely. wonder when you do that, um, I think that there's a little bit of, I don't want to say myopic, but I can see a security team being sort of focused maybe on some of the areas, but not really understanding where there might be other risk or other information mm -hmm. or data or things that a a threat would really be after and they just sort of ignore it or not not consciously just don't even think of it and so i think that's again oh, yeah. where bringing in a third party like 
can be very eye opening in terms of where's what am I actually trying to protect? Am I protecting the right things? Um, no. That type of stuff. Oh yeah, it, it reminds me actually. One of the things I've, I've been um, uh, I read uh, Sully's uh, book in a long time ago, which was about the highest duty. And I've actually been recently uh, re-listening to it again on Audible. So basically going through the book again. And you know, what Joe, what you're mentioning is it kind of resonates a lot with actually what Sully was saying in the book around airplane safety. A lot of airplane uh, companies have actually outsourced, for example, maintenance to third-party companies. But one of the things he was raising in the book specifically was that they might be great engineers in regards to fixing the engines on planes or doing the maintenance but they don't know how the plane's been used. They don't know basically the experience, basically how it's actually working together. And one of the things he was actually getting to, which I thought was really interesting uh, and actually reminded me of some of the concepts in your book, was actually it's all about the connections. It's all about how everything works together. It's about basically mm -hmm. that supply chain of components is that, and everything's a chain reaction is that it's no one specific failure um, in you know, the process. We hear a lot of the recent attacks you know, maybe somebody had a poor choice in a password. Somebody had uh, a poor, you know, basically a choice in what software they were running or, you know, running vulnerable software. A lot of that, that's, but that should not be the only issue. That's just one chain in the entire react, you know, the, this entire chain mm -hmm. reaction. Oh, yeah. Is that, that once that account gets abused, what other controls were in place to detect it and to, to show that it was being abused? Yes, what other controls exactly. were in place so that we have these chain reactions? I think it's really important is that to show all these different associations, as you mentioned, the threat intelligence, you know, thinking and, and doing the simulations of the adversary and working together with defenders to make sure that the right detection indicators are compromised, the right noise is coming to the surface. And we have to step back and we have to think about all of this and working together and all of those basically intersections uh, to really make sure that everything's working as basically, you know, uh, let's say interoperability and orchestration. I think those are so key in the industry today. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a concept I, I talk about in the book, and I talk about it when, mm -hmm. pretty much whenever I have a presentation mm -hmm. about this topic. Um, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, attack uh, diagrams that go through mm -hmm. all these different phases and such. I like to boil these things down into three pieces. You mm -hmm. get in, um, you stay in, and you act. So these three phases are something that I like to put in there. And the reason I put those in there is not because it just simplifies it, but the get-in phase is what we focus on a lot. You know, mm -hmm. I fished and gained access to a user. Um, and when you look at detection and opportunities, if I send mm -hmm. a single fish, someone clicks and it allows me to gain remote access, that's a really, really quick um, effort. And mm -hmm. the actual artifacts generated are smaller in number. Are they good? Sure. But once I stay in, and now I'm living in your network, I'm living and breathing mm -hmm. in your network, I am constantly moving and adjusting, persisting, laterally moving, doing mm -hmm. all this stuff. So the artifacts I'm leaving behind are tremendous. So that post-exploitation analysis of your capabilities are really, really important. I would argue more important. Unfortunately, a lot of times when we look in the news and such, we see like, oh, someone had this VPN password out there, or they, you know, they expose this. And those are terrible things, mm -hmm. but those are um, a door into your network. I would argue you have, if you have a thousand people in your company, you've got a thousand people who can just start typing on their computer and do anything that they want. Mm -hmm. So what's the, the this magic wall that we have to break through? Because those walls don't exist. Computers are on the internet. There is no real boundaries. There's just rules that mm -hmm. some rules are more open than others. So you really have to understand if these are my assets I'm protecting, 
I need to make sure that no user on my network can elevate their privileges and do all of these bad mm -hmm. things. Because when you start to look between like a phishing attack that elevates access to his user sitting there doing it, there's mm -hmm. not much difference. You know, sure, I got to trick a person, but I'm, I'm not a big fan of like doing phishing engagements. No. Those are right. my least favorite things because like no. if I prove I can trick a person, okay, so that's, that's I can be fooled. <laughs> we can all be fooled. I look at this and say, okay, the, the so what factor. So yeah. what? Bob in accounting clicked on this email. He said, yes, yes, yes. Please run this. I want to do it. Give me that Excel spreadsheet because that's what we are going to do. And that is where you need to start measuring things. So what this drives is I really think we need strong threat-based scenarios. I'm also not a big fan of the like black box, come hack me, right. um, like red team engagement. Show me what you got. I'm like, that's a waste of time and energy. I like to have defined scenarios that have defined goals as I that I need to trigger, whether it's certain techniques, certain targets, where I want to have this really worked out together. Um, a lot of people will start to call this purple teaming. Um, I'll, again, I'm not a fan of that word because of the connotations that come along, but it's, it is a collaboration because yes. I actually don't think we have an offensive securities field. We're all defenders. They're, they're, that's where we are. So if you are on a red team, you are not in the offensive security space. You are a defender. And you've got to start thinking about yourself in that, those terms because what you do matters on how you're trying to help these defenses, typically in the detection and response space. And, and again, that's one of our biggest gaps that we have right now. And I agree with you on the going back a little bit to the phishing engagements. I think yeah. from my perspective, phishing engagements are a test of not whether or not I can get in or trick somebody because I can. I mean, I know how to, I, I, there's no question. I think it's more about, do I have in place the reporting structures? Do I have in place, it's, it's again, the are my employees who maybe once they click the link, they're like, oh, nuts. And they know what to do after they do that. Right. And similar to, you know, my, my last company, um, we did a lot of um, user analytic um, and it was really about inside threat. But what we learned very quickly was there's very little difference between a malicious insider, someone who's been hacked um, or some other thing on the network. So just sort of yes. goes back to that same point of like, just assume that somebody's compromised what, yeah, or yeah, that maybe yeah. they're malicious. Like you have these users, if you have enough employees, there's probably someone who might be a little annoyed or frustrated or whatever, like, and not that you want to assume that you have that, but at the same time, there's really very little difference and you oh, need yeah. to have a system that's able to detect that as well. And, and it's the same that's stuff. That's back to goals. Mm -hmm. That's right. back mm -hmm. to go having a yeah. goal planned scenario to where I asked, if someone says you got to fish in, we're not going to give you access, no assumed access. I say, okay, is your goal to see if you can yeah. prevent this or is your goal to see if you have that infrastructure in place and this is a detection method to maybe your users are going through the process? If that right. is a goal, perfect. Let's run through that. If those yeah. are not the goal, if the goal is to say, well, I really want to see if you gained access and you can laterally move here and do all these other things, then don't put that in the scenario. And I see this as a big flaw in our red team community and those who are requesting these services yes. to, to not understand that. So you always got to start with your goals in mind and design a scenario around that. And I am much more of a fan mm. of open yes. scenarios, back and forth discussions, honest discussions, no blame. Let's work through this on real live production systems because it can be done safe. And if you do this, you can actually um, um, have – you know, a realistic understanding of what does and does not work. Um, 
That's easier said than done because there's a lot of politics involved. So when things don't work, people just want to say, hey, we spent all this money. Why isn't this thing mm -hmm. working? You know, there's egos and in, in humans get in the way of our, ourselves on these things. Uh, so, you know, I've been in too many times on the uh, red team side to where the defense of the blue team just hate us right off the bat. <laughs> and, and I have spent had to spend a ton of my time building those relationships. That's always been really, really important to me to say, let's work together. I want to help you. Where are your gaps? What are you struggling with? Let's design our red team mm -hmm. engagements around your areas of concern. And once you build those, things change immensely. Yeah, yeah I mean, I wonder a how much the the black box, the old school thinking of like, oh, we're a black box, come and hack us, has sort of created that tension or animosity or that like us mm -hmm. versus them when really it shouldn't be us versus them. And by trying to do oh, yeah. the more open engagements just automatically changes the dynamic mm -hmm. of that conversation of, hey, we're all on the same team We're you know, we just want yeah. to exercise our offense or we want to exercise our defense um, yeah. team. Just working on different tasks. Ultimately, right. you know, as part of the, same, the same goal. goal. Yeah, yep. it's the same goal that we all have. And we're all, even, you know, sometimes it's even good to buddy up and actually get somebody so you actually cross, you know, uh, skill and actually get people that they can actually be better detecting. So I think at the end of the same day, I, Joe, absolutely. We're all on the same team. We all have the same mm -hmm. goals that, and a lot of organizations sometimes, you know, they get in that competitive kind of scenario, that mental kind of thing yeah. where it's us versus them. But ultimately, you know, at the same time, we all basically want to, to make organizations more resilient, want to make the internet a safer place for everyone to use and actually get as much value as we can as possible. Um, so absolutely, I, I, I really like um, that approach that, you know, ultimately, we are all defenders. Uh, we just, are, you know, we might be wearing different hats or having different tasks at the time, basically, um, yes. but we should, you know, get into. Another thing, you know, you mentioned as well, one thing that I find that a lot of organizations um, is that sometimes in the detection side of things as well, is that a lot of attackers, when they, when they get that initial foothold, the one thing they'll do is they'll, you know, they might run certain enumeration and then they'll delete the logs. And a lot of things we're not even doing is looking for log deletion, you know, looking for gaps in logs of, you know, where there maybe yeah. is a few hours. And that's also things that organizations, they're not basically, you know, looking at that measurement side of things. They're not looking at what things are suspicious um, so that they can actually use those as potential ways to investigate further. Um, so it's, yeah, for me, it's, no it's, kidding. It's, it's, it's something that we... One question I want to ask you is more about what, what types of skills side, you know, the resources, the people... Um, that should be, you know, getting involved. Um, what re what types of new skills do we need in this area to really develop this much further into where it's really kind of, you know, the concept you're referring to? Well, so you've got two sides of this. You've got to have the cats and the cat herders. <laughs> um, so you've got to have really, really sharp technical individuals who understand <laughs> the things that are being attacked. So if you're going after, say, a Windows environment or a Linux environment, mm -hmm. you've really got to have an understanding of those components. And when I say understanding, I don't mean like, oh, yeah, I know how to write, uh, inject something into memory. But I mean, I need to understand the, the relationships, how Windows mm -hmm. works, how the communications path works, all of these components, those relationships. And then once you have that basic understand usage understanding, then you can look at for mm -hmm. abuse cases. Because mm -hmm. another thing I've started to realize is the word malware, we say this malicious stuff. I don't want to say there's not malware or software. It's all software with different – the person who wrote it has different <laughs> intents because I hate to say that, and I'll go back to like PSExec for an example. You know, you have this tool written by SysInternals that does what it was designed to through the APIs provided by Microsoft. 
you know, so mm-hmm. I can use it for good and evil. And it, yeah. and it seems kind of silly for that, but it really comes down to fundamentals, understanding of the architecture of these components. So, mm-hmm. you know, understanding like C sharp and really looking at windows internals is really important because again, what's the difference between, you know, injecting memory, you know, on from uh, loading, like say a DLL from disk versus loading a DLL mm-hmm. through reflective loading through in the memory, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, there's some behaviors which lend, lends, uh, lends ourselves towards understanding techniques. Mm-hmm. And that's what we start to focus on to say, okay, these are general categories of approaches that threats use to do, you know, have a more malicious intent in their mm-hmm. goals. Um, so that means we got to have people who understand those technical pieces. But we also have to have the cat herders who really understand how to take these scenarios and design those and take how do I – identify the gaps on our detection strategies, work mm-hmm. with our defenders to see, do they even have detection strategies? And I would argue push forward to have a proactive mm-hmm. approach to uh, not just buy a bunch of tools, but to actually understand why we're implementing things, where the limit limits are, what's good or bad. Palantir has a uh, the alerting and detection mm-hmm. strategy. I don't know if you've heard of this. Palantir's ADS mm-hmm. uh, strategy. It's, it's a, not saying it's the best one, but it's a mm-hmm. framework that you can use for mapping out detection strategies. You start with a hypothesis and say, I think I can detect a threat doing these things. You create boundaries, you create understanding of what works and what does not work. And it's a really, really good way to model a detection at a like atomic level or a small level, whatever you put those bounds around. So we need someone on the other side to design threat scenarios to be able to test that. And to know that we need a vulnerability assessment, penetration test, Mm-hmm. You know, what sort of security assessments needed to measure that thing? Um, and, and I don't want to, again, I don't want to discount the the need for the technical side. And mm-hmm. um, it's really, really important. But there is a lot of people, especially now, I, as I see security kind of going through a new phase, maybe because I've done this a while, mm-hmm. I see new people coming in who all these tools, techniques during the, like, say, 2010 plus or minus years when things are really starting to kind of explode, well, those now just exist. So they're coming into this space, and that was just part of it. Um, You know, this existed already. Um, So now they're bringing a whole new set of skills and understanding Mm -hmm. to those. So you've got to be able to take those and and push those, those, uh, those team members to the right direction to test those hypotheses of for detections. I think Absolutely. it's interesting that the the all the parallels with mm-hmm. um, technology overall. Like, I so I started as a software developer, and all of the like th- lessons that we've learned of like, hey, you know what? If we have our QA team working more closely with the software developers, mm-hmm. it creates less of an adversarial relationship, and we get more done. Oh, yeah. We're all on the same team. Blah blah blah. We're sort of learning that again with security. Same thing with tools. Like, yes, as a developer, I can. I have all of these things at my disposal now that when I started, I didn't have that allows me to do more. But I think as people are coming in the industry, it does allow uh, entry level, you know, sort of an entry level person to do a, mm-hmm. a heck of a lot more. But at the same time, you do need to start training them and skilling them on some of the things that like maybe are older techniques and older skills that like you just don't get through the IDE or through whatever tools mm-hmm. um, if they really yes. want to progress in their career. And it's the exact same thing in security, right? Like, great, you have these tools, you can do a lot more on day one. But if you really want to understand what's going on, you need to you need to look behind that curtain. You need to to go beyond what you're seeing. Um, it's just funny how we just keep learning the same. It's just 
the same things no, over and over again from industry to industry. Yeah. I thought about the same, like when I was starting off, like, Oh man, I'm figuring this out. I know what's going on. Those, those old timers before me, they didn't know what's going on. <laughs> I was like, you know what? It's all full cycle. It's full circle um, to where we can't assume any of that is, is the oh. case. So everything is just different, but we, as people are still making the same kind of mistakes on security mm-hmm. Uh, we have new technologies that might enable things to be quicker or faster or different, but those fundamentals are still there. We have to understand the technology and mm-hmm. how those technologies can be abused. Um, and without the foundational knowledge, whether it's in actual like architecture, you know, when you look at like cloud architecture, what's mm-hmm. going on, how those APIs interact, the the software, the coding mm-hmm. principles that actually build these things. If we don't have some of that, then we're just making up stuff. And, well, the networking principles with cloud. Sorry to interrupt, but like I think the networking no, no, yeah. principles of like, hey, you. So what? You're in the cloud. You can. That, you have so much more control. You can actually make sure that this machine and this machine, they're the only two that are allowed to talk. Like, the if this database is only expecting connections from one machine, then why would you allow connections from any other oh. machine <laughs> and stuff yeah, like that? The, you have so much more control. Uh, that's the challenge, though. <laughs> is that one, one of the things is that for no scenarios is that most, most of those basically configuration setups and wizards, it's all off by default. It's all open, 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 open. And, right, yeah. and people don't like to, to go and have to change things. So we have this, the default settings. And that's why one of the things you'll, you'll see in the Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report, that misconfigurations and default settings are one of our biggest pain points in regards to most organizations becoming victims oh, yeah. you know, of cybercrime. Um, you know, it should be the opposite. You know, I always get into it right. should be you know, off. Everything should be basically private by default, that principle of least privilege, where basically you have to say explicitly what you want this to do. Otherwise, if it continues to be that default, yes, 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 you know, people's not going to basically know what's the right settings or, or what they're specifically doing. Um, so it's, it's for me, it's, it's uh, let's get or a, what know, they're leaving open. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. No, it's th- th- those, those are all important that we have to look at. I mean, there are security fundamentals. Forget about even detection and response. If we mm-hmm. want to minimize and make the threat's job harder, there are so many things that we do poorly. And one of my favorite examples is look at client-server model, right? Mm-hmm. So I say that, and it's like, oh, clients talk to servers, not the other way around. You know, mm-hmm. the cert clients only reach out to get stuff. What do we do in a Windows environment, Windows 10? Do we allow clients to talk to clients all mm-hmm. the time? So right. when you're talking about, yes, there's a lot of things of mitigating, but the Windows firewall, just alone, turning it on and preventing client-to-client communications is a huge, huge roadblock and mm-hmm. forces the threat actor to change. And now they have to, they can't move laterally across the no. same space. Now they're forced to go up and down and up and down and cross different privilege boundaries that gives much better capabilities. But I still see Windows firewalls turned on or turned off so often because mm-hmm. clients are not being treated as clients or treated as a server because for whatever reason. And um, I look at when you start to look at, I, I'm going to just say, I'm going to blame our risk mm-hmm. and compliance groups for this <laughs> because this is what they're supposed to be doing. They should actually mm-hmm. be deriving true risks and compliance capabilities. And there's a tremendous amount of power if our risk and compliance groups better understood mm-hmm. what threats can and cannot do and not just have a big bullet list, but to say, here's why we need this and here's what's going on. Uh, and I say that because I used QA when I did um, application security testing many, many years mm-hmm. ago. I realized no one cared about what I said. I said, oh, you got this <laughs> SQL injection flaw and like I can get remote code execution yeah. or whatever. But if I said, this is a quality issue, 
boom, straight to the top. I was like, oh, that's how this works? <laughs> I've created relationships with the QA team to start to have my deficiencies rated as quality issues. Whether that was right or wrong, I was early in my career doing doing this. And I was like, I found a loophole to like get this stuff fixed. And it's all back to like, you know, governments, governance, risk and compliance. And those are powerful and boring things that can help a lot. Yeah, yeah totally agree. I mean, we, um, you know, when we, we do the same thing. We treat uh, security vulnerabilities like any other bug. It goes, it's a quality problem, right? And it goes through the same exact process. I think that that's um, for anyone out there that's doing application development and, and trying to figure out how do you, how do you handle these things? I, like, I think that's a, a, one of the pieces of advice that was given to me really early on was just treat it like a quality problem. What's really the difference? What's the difference between a security vulnerability? It's just a different type of bug. Get in in that yeah. same exact workflow and you'll see that it's going to get prioritized yeah. appropriately and, and, and uh, fixed relatively quickly. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, so that's part of those skills is to have someone on the team mm. who recognizes how to to get things done and push those things forward. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. So yeah. I'm what definitely about, biased to that because I've, I've spent a lot of my time working through that side. Yeah. What about reporting side, you know, about reporting back, you know, where's the skills and what do you recommend, you know, how to report back to the business so they can actually take action. Uh, because so, that, uh, that's another major yeah. area I find, you know, what we're lacking. So you always, always look at, you got to have some sort of, I say, actionable report. Mm -hmm. Um, which means someone should be able to take action on it. Um, I actually am not a fan on providing risk scores through a report because mm. I don't think that me as the analyst or the security <laughs> technician can give you a risk score. I actually prefer, and it never happens or very mm. rarely, to have my report brought to a risk team to do a risk analysis on it to actually decide what is or is not important. Because what happens is I say, hey, this is a, you know, this is a high level or this is mm -hmm. critical. It's like, well, no, because we got these other compensating controls and then it's changed. And me as the security practitioner, whoever wrote this, said, I don't care what you call this. This is my facts that I'm giving you. You perform your risk score. So part of your risk analysis should include, mm -hmm. or part of your reporting should include a post risk analysis on those things to get into your queue for fixing. That is another area that I think we as an industry could really step up our game to, to make, have mm -hmm. higher quality uh, output. But those reports, whether it's pen testing or um, red teaming, mm -hmm. um, they need to focus back on the original goal, why you ran this thing. I call it the so what factor. Mm -hmm. So what you found this flaw. So what we're running outdated TLS. So what? Like those, those are important to, to actually perform those risk analysis on those, those individual items. But if you break those down into actionable things, mm -hmm. um, then at least somebody should be able to take that and move forward. Is there some metric rather than risk score that you would you would advocate for, like probability or like something mm -hmm. along the lines of get to, yeah. to give some idea? Because you know, I'll just let you answer the question rather than no. no so, so I actually learned this technique. <laughs> yeah, I learned this from Chris Crowley. He's an instructor at Sands and uh, mm -hmm. does a lot of really great work on the uh, security, like the SOC side of mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. and, and he just has something simple: a one, two, three score, and it's in terms of ease to fix. So one would be there's a there's a known issue fix like maybe a security mis misconfiguration, you know there's something known and easy to fix. We're just we haven't done it through ignorance or just laziness, you know. Mm -hmm. And and keep it simple mm -hmm. like this. So this is oh it's rarely available. Two would be there are known fixes, but there's some sort of uh, 
uh, control or modification that that might have an impact that we need to consider. Mm-hmm. So it's like a little bit higher level. And then three is there is nothing. It, we can't fix this. There's no uh, mitigation out there right now. So this is going to actually be really hard to fix. We've got to dive into this and understand it. Mm-hmm. So then it gets into terms of ease of fixing. So it's not even a matter of like, this flaw is more important than the other, because if you play that game and I give you like 20 flaws, it's like, what does it matter? Like this is, no. if I gave you 20 software bugs to fix. Sure. There's some like ranking in that, but you're still going to like kind of rack and stack those and get those work through. But you can also say, wow, we could probably knock out four of these on this next sprint. Mm-hmm. Let's knock out those really fast and easy. These others, we're going to have to time, have some resources to kind of work through. So putting on my product manager mm-hmm. hat, for a second, I'll tell you what my my way of racking yeah, yeah. and stacking all of those is, right? There's there's three things I care about. Level of effort is one of them. So it's the same thing. Is it mm-hmm. easy, hard? I use a five-point scale. Doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, level of effort, urgency. Is there some sort of deadline, time frame, something related to this? Frequently in the security space, that's not really the case. But sometimes maybe there's a contract that's dependent <laughs> on us adjust, addressing this particular vulnerability. Um, so urgency. And then business value or some sort of idea of risk, which doesn't necessarily come from the engineers who are figuring out yes. the level of effort. It's coming from product or coming from the business, coming from sales, coming from marketing to say, this is the business value. And then you combine those three things and then you can say, I want to work on the lowest effort, highest value things, and then break ties based on urgency. And it yep. works phenomenally well because yes. what ends up happening if you focus too much on the easy stuff is the big stuff never gets done. And if you focus too much on the big stuff, then easy stuff, you know, the easy stuff never gets done. And so um, it's a nice way of sort of uh, coming up with a, a way to, to rack and stack things of various sizes. And, and then you can also figure out what if you are doing agile, and you are fitting things in sprints, then you can say, Oh, well, we don't really have room for all of these big things. And we can sort of sprinkle in some of the smaller ones and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, th- those are those are great for like doing uh flaw and bug uh bug hunting and bug fixes on right. things the mm-hmm. one thing i see as a gap is mm-hmm. and i don't see this happen very often um which is actually measuring your detection strategy capability to say if i said mm-hmm. i did i landed on this box and i moved to here and i did this and i show you a story of what i did each one of those are should be analyzed as a where was our detection failures why mm-hmm. what is missing from our strategy to say detection opportunities. So I like to include in my report detection opportunities to show that during, here's the techniques that were used and here's areas of detection. Now, if it's a, if you're kind of a third party, you're going to have a less understanding of that, the uh, organization's, you know, detection strategies and what they should be doing. But if you're part of the internal team, you can actually work this through with the defenders and create a solid report to show here's our areas we could have worked on. Why did we miss this? Why did, why were you able to move from A to B and have no resistance through preventative controls or no detection, you know, through our Mm -hmm. detective controls. And that's a huge gap that I see in our, um, that's our next level. I mean, we have really Mm -hmm. good processes for bug hunting and bug flaws, you know, pen testing and bone testing, Mm -hmm. vulnerability assessments work great, but we need to, uh, to move forward on those into the threat side. Absolutely. The fire alarm test. That's basically, it's, it's making sure that when you know, think, when smoke's happening, that you want the fire alarms to go off. Um, and ultimately, yes. we have to get better at yep. doing that. I kind of, as we commit, move towards the end of the summary, I'd just like to get a, what's your lessons, personal lessons learned from all of this? Um, and so, you know, kind of, if there was one thing you would kind of you know, say that we focus on um, to, to really improve the area, 
you know, what, what's that lessons learned? And so what would be the one thing that we take away from, from, from this? So we need to build out our detection story. We need a, a strong detection story. Our detection response capabilities are what's lacking in the space right now. We've got a lot of tools that's supposed to stop and do stop all the bad things, but we really need to have, um, what I always say is if I could give my analysts the reason to look, most analysts can do the instant response and go find and identify mm -hmm. the bad. Um, that that's it. So it's that gap of how do I cut yeah. through the noise? So we need a really, really good detection response, uh, detection story. Mm -hmm. um, using frameworks like Palantir's alerting and detection strategy framework is a great way to move forward on that. Um, I'm also going to just throw a, a message out to Jared Atkinson. If you go follow mm -hmm. a lot of his blog posts he's done, uh, just look at what he's done. He's a, with SpectreOps. He mm -hmm. does an entire series mm -hmm. on detection engineering and the approach of um, you know, very granular detections to very wide detections and the pros and cons of this and how to break down a uh, detection hypothesis mm -hmm. into its uh, components. So you can take, decompose a, say a technique into something that you can actually deal with mm -hmm. and, and stuff like me, I may not have a hundred percent coverage, but I can get 30% coverage and 30% is huge on, on mm -hmm. some of these techniques as you start to build these up. But uh, mm -hmm. he has a really, really good series uh, about that. So for me, as a red teamer, as a threat emulator, my goal is not to hack and crack things. It is in order to enable your detection response capabilities to be more effective. Absolutely. So, um, and it's just kind of summary wise as well, you know, can you remind us the name of the book and where people, you know, the audience can go and, and get the yeah, yeah. from Amazon? So, and Yep. So the book, um, I wrote it with, along with James Tuberville. You can uh, find it on Amazon, Red Team Development and Operations. Mm -hmm. And feel free, you can reach out to me um, and Twitter at Joe Vest. I don't have any fancy hacker names. No. I'm, I'm something <laughs> like that. Um, and, you know, anybody can feel free to reach out, connect to me, uh, mm -hmm. send me messages. Yeah. I'm, I'm, especially with my new role, I'm much more involved in the community than I have been in the past. So it's been good. Awesome. And you do have the, the website also has a lot of resources as well. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's the a companion website, website yeah. red team, uh, red team guide mm -hmm. is the companion website that I put some extra material out there, some definitions, yeah. a few templates and such out there. So just a few resources to help, um, to go along with the book. Awesome. awesome. We'll make sure we get to put into the show notes as well. So absolutely. Yeah. So if Joe, it's been a fantastic having you on the show. And for me, I mean, I was one of, you know, I read the book when it first came out. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of books. So when books come out, I order them. Uh, sometimes I don't get to them as quick as I would like to because I do have. Like, I've still got a large backlog of books I need to still go through. Uh, but when I, something is of an interest to me, I do go through it, and I find your book fantastic, uh, really insightful, and something that you know. To be honest, I'm so happy that a book on this topic is available because it was something that I wish I would have had five, six years ago available to give to 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 some of the companies and, and you know organizations to really help educate them because. This is it. We're in a space that we definitely do need education. So many thanks for having me on the show. It's been fantastic. Well, thanks. Um, it's been great. And I'm really looking forward to kind of hopefully you know getting to see you in person at some of the events in the coming future. And uh, for yes. the audience, um, yeah, absolutely. So for the audience, many thanks for tuning in. Um, hopefully this has been interesting. Definitely, you know, get a copy of Joe's book. It will definitely help make sure that you definitely know if you're mature enough is to go down different aspects of pen testing, red teaming, and so forth. Um, and really, you know, make sure that you focus around that, you know, response and, and in response detection capabilities. So stay safe. Tune in every two weeks to Four One Access tonight, and look forward to you know having Joe hopefully back on the the show again in the future to discuss further. So thank you very much, everyone. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it/business.
This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.